turn to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is our third Gospel. Uh, and we want to look at Luke's narrative. Now, one of the interesting things about the actual resurrection stories is they all share the empty tomb story, all four of them. But when you begin to look at the individual resurrection narratives, every gospel is unique, which means there's a richness there. Uh, we had Matthew add two. Today we're going to have uh, uh, Luke add two. Matthew, like Mark, is going to begin with the empty tomb story. Uh, and Matthew went there as well. Uh, like Matthew, Luke is going to add two resurrection appearances, not the two we had last week, but two we've not seen yet. You know the uh, Road to Emmaus story, Luke, and the appearance to the 11 disciples in Jerusalem. John's going to tell us about the appearance to 11 in Galilee, but this is in Jerusalem. Uh, Luke's narrative is closest to Mark's. It does not have uh, the fireworks, the pyrotechnics of a Matthew, uh, but there's some differences. For example, there's uh, in Matthew and Mark and Matthew. How many angels were there? One. Okay. In Luke, two, and in John, two. Also, Luke's going to tell us that there were there were three women that came, and the names shift slightly. But then he tells us there were some other women with them. So in Luke's narrative, it's actually a larger group. But, but again, but he basically follows the narrative of Mark pretty closely, just some details a little bit different. Luke does not have any in, in a supernatural phenomena. In fact, one of the driving things about Luke's narrative is he wants to go the other way. He wants to be earthy, physical. And you're going to get over and over and over again, not the supernatural, but the utterly mundane part of this. It's going to be the exact opposite of Matthew. So Luke begins with Mark. Mark is his template. He's going to use that for the, the, the empty tomb story. Uh, and so we're not going to actually read that part because that with minor uh, changes, that's basically the same thing. But we want to pick up where, where Luke adds to what Mark does. So what Luke is going to do is like Matthew, he's going to extend the story. And what did Mark miss that the women did? Told the disciples. OK, this is where Luke then picks up Luke 24, verse nine. Returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven. And to all the rest. So. And Luke does this a lot. Luke is the one wants us to know that the disciples of Jesus are not just the 11 guys. There are, in fact, a significant number of women. And there's other disciples. Matter of fact, we're going to be introduced to a couple of them today who are not part of the 12. The two guys on the road to Mass, they're not part of the 12. But there are two more disciples. So there's a larger group of disciples at play here. But these words seem to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Does that shock anybody? The guys are not buying it. The women go to the tomb. They encounter the two angels. They're told he's risen. They're told, tell the disciples. They do exactly what they're told the disciples. This is why we call them the disciples. Okay. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Have we seen that anywhere else? You're going to see it again in John. Okay. There's an interesting thing. We know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are connected, right? They're called the what gospels? Sin. Uh, one. Optic, eye, they see together. Mark seems to be the template. Matthew and Luke take that template, add stuff to it from Q and other places, and then kind of roll with the story. Interesting thing. John's out there. John's just radically different, except on more than 100 different things, John and Luke are in agreement with nobody else, including language. And we'll see that today. 
many scholars think that we know that there was at least two versions of John because there's two different endings to John in the current gospel. It clearly ends at, ver- at chapter 20. We'll look at that next week. And then chapter one, 21 gets, gets added onto that. So clearly there was a version of John and then there's uh, a longer ending to John. It extended. Many, many scholars think that Luke may have had in front of him an earlier version of John when he wrote Luke. As a matter of fact, there's a piece of John in Luke. Did you know that? Johannine language. You know that language that John used? There's a piece of that in Luke. And there's one story of Luke in John. So it's an interesting kind of thing. It's what that. So Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooped and looked in, saw the linen cloths, that's the language of John also, by themselves. By the way, that's the same term that's used for when Moses covered his face. Because he couldn't, you know, to see he'd been transformed, he was with God. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Now, as Matthew did, what Luke wants us to understand here, he's going to highlight that the women, in fact, did. He's not going to buy Mark's version. He's with Matthew. We, we know the women told. Otherwise, we wouldn't know what happened, right? Obviously, they told us. He, he lays that out there for us. Uh, that they told the disciples that Jesus is risen, but unlike Matthew, he tells us they're not believed. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us whether to believe it or not. All we're told is that they met Jesus in Galilee. So obviously they paid attention and they heard. And the scene, this is, we're going to point this out several times today, that closely resembles the Gospel of John. Um, one of many striking similarities. Luke adds that Peter ran to the tomb and saw the linen cloths. What's striking is that occurs nowhere in any other Gospel except John and Luke. And in John and Luke, it's the exact same words in Greek, which tells you something. There seems to be some type of relationship there. Luke then follows the story. Matthew did too. Matthew added two resurrection appearances. Luke is going to give us two resurrections. He's going to refer to a third one that we don't have a story about, but he's actually going to give us two stories. Uh, Now, before we look at them, I just want to kind of back up for a second and say, when you look at these stories and you're asking, why did Luke include what he included? Why does he put the language in that he does? It's pretty clear that, that Luke is really concerned about two things he wants us to understand. And, and probably what's going on here is these are issues in Luke's church. And so he wants to speak to his church. He wants to speak to his people. The first one is this. There seems to be a lot of concern about the resurrected body. What was it? Was it a vision? Was it a ghost? Was it a spirit? Or was it? physical and so as you roll through these stories that that's one of the major themes there's a lot of discussion just watch the language with that the second one is this how did the disciples how did the disciples come to understand and really figure out what all this was about what the crucifixion meant and what the resurrection meant it's a major theme we're going to be exploring that because luke's very concerned about that luke begins with one of the great stories of the new testament the story on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Luke 24, verse 12. The very same day is what? This is Easter. Uh, not in the morning. The women were there that morning at the empty tomb. Two of them are on their way to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, a little north and a little bit west out of town. Uh, they were talking together about all that had happened. I bet they were. Uh, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself near interesting and went with them so Jesus appears with them 
or comes by or something. And now the three of them are going to travel together, apparently for some miles. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. By the way, this is a theme in Luke. Luke says this about five times. When, whenever somebody doesn't get it, Luke says, well, they just were prevented. You know, you know. But it could be they just a little dense that particular morning. You know. Jesus said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking along? Okay, what's, what's, what's the topic of conversation as you're leaving town? They stood still looking sad. Kind of captures. Now, what's interesting about this is that is this before or after Easter? After the resurrection. And they're still sad, which tells you a lot. One of them, named Cleophas, answered him. Are you the only human being on the planet, or at least Jerusalem, who does not know what's been going on in Jerusalem this past week, the things that have taken place? Jesus asked, what thing? This is the, this, talk about irony. <laughs> Let's tell Jesus about what happened to him. Okay. <laughs> they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. By the way, that's a big Lucan theme. Jesus is a prophet. Mighty indeed in word before God and before the people. How our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped. Do you get the sadness in that? Yeah. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Do they believe he is? No, they don't. That they have left Jerusalem because they've lost hope. They're tucking it in. They're going home. Wherever home is, they're out of there. Yes, and besides this, you want a really whopper on top of all of this? It's the third day since these things took place. And now some of the women of our group have astonished us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, this is the story they came back with. They told us that they had seen a vision of angels. By the way, that's not what the empty tomb story says. The empty tomb story says they saw angels. It just got downgraded to vision they're not buying it who said that he was alive some of those who were with us went to the tomb check it out we found it just as the woman said nobody the tomb is empty but they did not see him did not see the angel did not see jesus now this story is unique to luke except in the longer version of mark it looks like later christian tradition added to mark a compilation of, of stories from different gospels and this apparently is part of them. Mark 16. After this, he appeared in another form, which means would not have been recognized to two of them as they were walking in the country. They went back and told the rest, but they did not believe it. Does that sound to you like it might be the same story? Okay. Distinctly possible. Either that or two very similar things happened. So apparently these two are not among the 12 disciples. Luke has told us that there are many other disciples. He tells us multiple times. Uh, lots of women, not just the three women. There's lots of men. Uh, but that the women went to a large group. One disciple is unnamed. We don't know. We don't even know if it's a he or a she. Some art portrays as she. Some art portrays as a he. The other is named Cleophas. Is that a big name that jumps out at you? Not one of the 12. Okay. Now, we don't know anything else about Cleophas in Mark or in Luke, or in Matthew. Guess what's the only other gospel that mentions Cleophas? John, okay. John's gospel tells us that Cleophas, it's his wife that was one of the women at the foot of the cross 
when Jesus was crucified and died. So again, it's one of those odd little connections between John and Luke. These two failed to uh, recognize Jesus. Now, apparently, if you track the story, it, you're guessing they walk several miles and they have an extended conversation. At first, they're walking away and they're going to walk all the way again back to Jerusalem. They are kept from recognizing him, so they don't, don't figure that out. As the story stands, you can tell that, that, that the whole story is in light of the crucifixion and they're just stunned by what's happened. We're told they're sad. Uh, we then get what I think is probably the saddest statement in the New Testament. We had hoped uh, that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Now, if you know the Gospel of Luke, do you remember when Jesus was presented at the temple? And there's Simeon, the prophet, Anna, the prophetess, and then there's a third story in there. That word, the redemption of Israel, is, is language that you see early in the Gospel of Luke, which is to say that Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. That he is the one who fulfilled the hopes. And what they're saying is, he didn't. He did not fulfill our hopes. And so they're, you know, the kingdom did not come. David's not back on the throne. Romans have not been kicked out. And therefore, they've been severely let down. Now, you would think from what they're saying that this is a pre-Easter conversation, except Luke's very clear that this has happened later in the day, and they already know what the women have told. So if they had bought what the women said, would they be on their way to a mess? Would they be sad? Would their hopes be crushed? So it, 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 the way this is set up is very, very striking. Um, Luke tells us they know what's going on. They've heard the story. They simply are not buying it. They do not believe it. And they tell the stranger the women had seen a vision. Again, this is, is not what happens. Both Luke and in the actual story itself, the women report that it's not a vision. They've actually seen an angel, and it gets kind of downplayed here. It's they're discounted at several levels. Uh, the angels have dazzling clothes. You remember Mark? When we've looked at Mark, we looked at several Old Testament passages, particularly from the book of Daniel. Anytime you've got an angel, what is the uniform of an angel? White, bright, dazzling clothes. Okay. So the two disciples basically are just denigrating the women and saying, we're not buying whatever it is that you were smoking that particular morning. <laughs> uh, it's, to, it's to this that then Jesus responds. They don't believe what the women have said. Now Jesus is going to set them straight. Luke 24, 25. Then Jesus said to them, oh, how foolish you are. Well, that's one way to put it. <laughs> and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Not what the women have declared. Prophets, scripture. The intimation here is that if you knew your scripture, you might have been able to figure this out. Because, in fact, there may be some scripture that's relevant for this. It w was it not necessary this is, by the way, this gets repeated several times. That the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory. Was it not necessary? Uh, now, this is the second time earlier. We didn't read it, but when the, when the women came to the tomb and the two angels appeared to them, this is the first thing uh, they say. When Jesus was in Galilee, didn't he tell you that it was necessary that he had to go to Jerusalem to suffer at the hands of sinners be crucified, killed, and the third day be rose. You remember that? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's actually said three times as he's journeying south. So why did you miss it? Now the, angel, the angels of the tomb said that, and now Jesus himself reinforces that message. Uh, the death and resurrection are necessary. They're part of God's plan. The prophets 
have declared it, it's there if you can just put grab hold of it. Uh, and obviously these two disciples are not quite there yet. They're going to need to explain to him. Verse 27. Beginning with Moses. Now what would that refer to? If you're a Jew, you're talking about Moses. First five books. The Torah, Pentateuch, the books of Moses. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Former prophets would be um, Judges, Joshua, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Later prophets would, would include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. Okay. All, all that you've left out there is the writings, Psalms and Proverbs. And like. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. So, th ironically, this is one of the very earliest accounts there is of an indication that by the first century A.D., writings have become sacred, they have become scripture, and we're beginning to get categories. Moses, the Torah, the prophets, all we're missing is the writings, and by the way, before this is finished, we'll get that as well. So the key that understand everything, both his death and resurrection, lies in the scriptures. Um, it's very clear that the crucifixion, even the resurrection, particularly the crucifixion, just dumbfounded the disciples. Could not figure it out. Why? Why would a Messiah have to die? What could God possibly have in mind? And so Christians then began to look the scriptures. Did any, any of them come to mind? Song of the Suffering Servant in Isaiah, you know, beaten for our sins. And as they look at scriptures, the story begins to come clear. And this is what Christians did. Verse 28. As they came near the village to which they were going, where were they headed? So they're arriving at Emmaus. They've trekked eight miles now. He walked ahead as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening. In an ancient world, you don't want to be walking around in the dark. It's not a good idea. And the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And this is where it gets really interesting. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it. Does that strike you? Is this a vision? Is this a ghost? Is this a specter? Is this a spirit? Manually breaking bread and gave it to them. By the way, what does this remind you of? The Last Supper. <coughs> it's interesting. When we do communion, it's not just the Last Supper. It's actually two meals. It's the Last Supper. It's also the resurrection meal. It's a reference to this story. So we celebrate not only the last night that Jesus was alive, but that Jesus becomes known in the breaking of bread, part of our theology of communion. Their eyes were opened. They recognized him. I bet that was an interesting <laughs> moment to be there. We may be a little, a little fly on the wall going, hello. <laughs> then he vanished from their sight. The instant they finally get it, it's him. He's gone. Okay. Uh, made known in the breaking of bread. Walking. Miles, conversing, inviting in, sitting down at table, clueless. He does something he had done before. And in that moment, I don't know what happened, but they figured it's him. It really is him. It's only when he breaks bread that triggers memory, the Last Supper, and triggers awareness of who he is. And by the way, Christian theology still says he is known in the breaking of bread. That's one of the ways we can come to know who Jesus is. 
Second story. That was the road to Maya story. There's one more that Luke wants us to understand. And this one, Luke is going to work very, very heavily. There's a lot at stake in this story. The same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Night or next morning? I'm not sure. When they found the 11 and their companions, Luke again wants us to know it's not just the 12 minus 1. It's a group, male and female, Luke lets us know. They're all gathered together in Jerusalem, probably at somebody's house. These, the people in the room, told the two that had just come back in, you know, these two guys are going to show up. Do you think they've got some hot news? <laughs> yeah, they're going to get trumped, okay? They've got a story to tell, but the other disciples say, oh, wait a minute, we've got a story to tell you. The Lord has risen indeed. Guess what? The women were right, even though we didn't believe them. He appeared to Simon. Been busy elsewhere, too, but he appeared to Simon. Now, what's interesting about this is that we don't have a story about this. There's a reference to it. Uh, Luke does not tell us. It's just re referred to in passing. It's interesting that when Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, remember that? Where Paul mentions that, that Jesus appeared to, do, 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 and lastly appeared to me. Paul, writing 30 years before Luke, mentions that one of the resurrection appearances he already knew about in the year 51 or 52 was an appearance to Peter, a solo appearance. So Paul confirms this, but again, Paul didn't tell us the story and he refers to it. Only John, ding, ding, has a story about Jesus appearing to Peter. But it's interesting in John, it's not in Jerusalem, it's in Galilee. So probably a different story altogether. Uh, but again, we have multiple testation that, that Peter got an individual appearance. Now Jesus appears to them. When they told all that had happened on the road, okay, you let us know that he appeared to Peter. Well, guess what? Jesus has been a busy boy today. He's been with us too, okay? How Jesus had come to make be known in the breaking of bread. So this, they narrate the story back. They're sharing resurrection narratives. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Now, John has the exact same story in the exact same language. Only John and Luke. And John, John adds the little detail that the door just happened to be what? Locked. Luke does not do that. But that's, that's, the, that's what we're kind of led to believe, okay? He just suddenly, he's with them. And he said to them, peace be with you. Guess what he says in the Gospel of John? Peace be with you. Okay. They were startled, terrified. I would be too. Though they were seeing a, here's the interesting language. We've gone from vision to ghost. Now, Jesus stands among them. Uh, again, striking parallel with John. Jesus enters a room in the same way, gives the same message, peace be with you. So there seems to be some type of a connection here. They think they're seeing a, a ghost. Earlier we'd heard about a vision, which is kind of a discounting. Now they think they've seen a ghost. And by the way, if you see a ghost, it kind of implies it's kind of maybe not half real. It's just a little bit, you know, not quite there. So Luke apparently is dealing with a question. Now, this is a question in the early church. When Paul writes to Corinthians, do you remember 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about the, the, uh, the, uh, the resurrection? Paul begins that chapter something like this. You idiots in Corinth. <laughs> How could you possibly say, after I started the church and I taught you the gospel and I've communicated with you, how could you possibly say there is no resurrection? And then he launches into a whole chapter Chapter 15 about the resurrection. Early Christians, particularly non-Jews, have a hard time 
with resurrection. Jews, a little easier. Gentiles do not believe that bodies get up. They believe, and remember what Plato called it? The soul, the spirit kind of thing. So Luke is one of those gospels being written to a Gentile audience. Okay? Um, he's dealing with a question when people experience the resurrection, what in fact are they dealing with? Is it a vision? Is it a ghost? Is it a spirit? Or is it something more? And so this is the theme that runs through this story. What follows is simply meant to answer that question. What kinds of body was it that the disciples encountered? And when this story is done, there is no question as to what's going on. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, why are you frightened? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands. Now, what do you think he's asking him to look at? And my feet. And the crucifixion where you nailed. Hands and feet. See, it is I myself. Touch me and see. Um, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Is, is he real clear on this? It's not a vision. This is not a specter. It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. This is a physical body. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet over and over and over. While in their joy, they were disbelieving. You ever been there? <laughs> Pinch me. You know, I'm not sure that this is in fact happening. You know, I believe, I'm experiencing it, I see it, but I'm not quite the point of belief, still wondering. And so they're at that moment. I mean, they're having an experience, but clearly they're trying to figure this out. Now, the scene uses language to drive home a point over and over and over. This body is not a vision. It is not a spirit. It is not a specter. It is not a ghost. It's not that. It's physical. It's bodily. It's fleshy. Even though Paul says flesh and blood may not inherit the kingdom of God, we have a little different view here. What is risen is, in fact, the body that was crucified. That's the whole point of this story. Jesus shows his disciples the wounds he received at the crucifixion, and more than any other writer, more than any other writer, this is huge for Luke. It's very, very important to him. So we have it over and over again. Look at my hands and feet. Touch and see. Show them his hands and feet. Flesh and bones I have. Now, even if you're dense, you should be getting it about this time, okay? The interesting thing is, uh, well, two interesting things. One is, do you have a similar story in, in Gospel John? Want to come to mind? Put your hands in Thomas. Thomas story. Only Luke and only John stressed the brute physicality of the resurrected body. John will invite Thomas to place his hands. We don't, apparently John, uh, Thomas does not do it. That's enough to convince him. In Luke, we're going to take this further. Why? Because after everything we've heard, guess what the disciples don't believe it yet. As Luke tells us that. They're not there yet. They, they remember? They're, they're kind of pinch me. I kind of believe, but kind of not there yet. So they need something else. Okay, here comes the final nail to drive it in. Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, that's about as fleshy as you can get, right? You know, you're dining. Okay. In Jewish tradition... We actually have literature about this, uh, some of the ancient writings. There's a big discussion about how do you know the difference between a ghost 
or a vision and a real person. Well, guess what? Ghosts don't what? Yeah, visions don't eat. People eat. So, this is the proof. It's a real thing. For example, angels, ghosts, visions, you don't have that. So, wonderful story. You know, and you all know the story of Tobit? Tobit's in the Catholic Bible, the Orthodox Bible, or we call it the Apocrypha. Wonderful story where this angel is taking Tobit on this kind of long journey. And then we have this wonderful line. Was, uh, this is the angel speaking. Although you were watching me, I really did not eat or drink anything. What you saw was a vision because I am an angel. If he had eaten something, he would have been a real person. This is something that Luke's Gentile audience really, really needs to hear. It is something they're struggling with. It is something for Gentiles very, very, very hard. Gentiles have been taught to believe in the soul and that if you have life after death, it's in this sort of amorphous thing called the soul or spirit. Bodies don't come back. Souls do. And so this is an issue in the early church. And it's something they would have to stress. Um, now, throughout the stories, we have this second theme then. And this is the, the second theme. It's hard to accept what's been going on. It was hard for the disciples as they approached Jerusalem to hear what Jesus was saying. I have to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. The events of Good Friday, hard. Guess what? The events of Easter morning, just as hard. All of this is just simply hard to take in, hard to believe. And by the way, all the Gospels acknowledge this but Luke probably more than the other. They have a hard time before his death. They have a hard time with his death. He's not what we thought. Uh, now they have a matter of fact, remember Paul in 1 Corinthians also, he talks about the message of a cross as a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles because that's just a hard thing to, to accept. Now the resurrection is the same thing. Hard, 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 hard. 2,000 years later, we accept it. That day, not so easy. Really, really hard for them. Okay. So we end with these final words. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That's odd wording. That almost sounds like an editor reflecting kind of back with that as though it was written and then reflecting back at another time. But everything written about me in the law of Moses, the Torah, first five books, the prophets, and here it comes, the Psalms. This is the earliest known reference to the Jewish Bible as we have it today, the Old Testament as we have it today. The law, the prophets, and the writings. That's still the outline of the Bible that we have today. Must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Because if they understand the scriptures, what do they understand? It, it had to happen. Jesus had to die. And he had to be raised. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah must suffer. This is now the third time in this series we've had that. And rise from the dead on the third day. This is part of God's plan. You may have difficulty with it, but it's actually what God wanted. You are witnesses to these things. You, you've seen it. You've experienced it. You've lived it. Now, the case were dense eight times in the resurrection narratives. Lucas said it has to happen. It's a part of God's plan. Do you think it's a, it's a significant point he wants to drive home? If you say something eight times, it's important. It was necessary. 
it must be fulfilled. It was written. It was in the prophets. It was in the scriptures. He goes on and on and on. Understanding what has happened, the death and the resurrection uh, is not natural. It does not come easy. And I would submit to you that even today that's hard. Any of y'all know a guy named N.T. Wright? Any of y'all re realize the big hornet's nest he stirred up about two years ago? When he basically said that the belief in the soul is a non-Christian belief. You all remember that? He put a book out and he says, uh, if you read your New Testament, this is real clear. We're not about soul. What are we about? Resurrection. The Jewish deal. And from the New Testament viewpoint. Now, later Christian tradition has clearly embraced the soul. So both of those are in that. But N.T. Wright stirred up a big storm by saying, basically, uh, the resurrection of the physical body is the biblical proclamation. And the ink flew, you know, just everybody, no, 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 kind of thing. But he has a point, doesn't he? I mean, if you're really reading Luke, you do. Uh, your mind must be open. Only then will you understand and know it. You're not going to arrive at that on your own. And for Luke, this is the big drum roll at the end. For Luke, this is what he wants you to hear. If your mind is going to be opened, if you're going to understand who Jesus was, what he did, what he was about, what he taught, his actions, if you're going to understand Holy Week, if you're going to understand the cross, if you're going to understand the empty tomb, if you're going to understand resurrection, there are two ways that you're going to be able to grab hold of that because you will not grab hold of it otherwise. One, scriptures. Two, breaking of bread. Now, what's striking about that is we come to understand through word and sacrament. And by the way, to this day, what do we believe? We come to understand Jesus through word and sacrament. This is the first time this concept is presented. So next two weeks, we want to turn to the Gospel of John. Next week, we'll turn to John 20, which is the Mary Magdalene story. Uh, wonderful story. And then, uh, and then the Gospel ends. And then John 21 has been added, and we'll look at that. And then the last week, we're going to look at the longer ending of Mark and Paul's statement and some other sort of loose ends with that. So Gospel of John, wonderful, wonderful stuff.